so um last week obviously we we're talking about the virgin birth where jesus was born how we can be sure it happened and um, most people uh did not expect the groundbreaking death-defying liberating messiah to come from nazareth as we mentioned last week so he was he was intended to come from nazareth obviously um but you can probably agree that coming from a very poor family it all seems quite unexpected they are incredibly poor and you wouldn't expect the you know the king of kings to be born into a poor family and that can actually be seen through the wise men the magi you know everyone knows the story of the nativity jesus was born in the stable and then you've got the distant lands and the first place they go is to the king's palace they go to jerusalem which is what you'd expect you'd expect okay this great king he's going to be born in a grand place but in reality he wasn't and it was quite an unexpected discovery for them so i wanted to ask you guys what is the most unexpected discovery or events that any of you have experienced in your lives um i discovered that i have three kidneys which is a you know pretty sick one so that was a great discovery how do you have three um i was born like it not really sure i've been blessed with an extra one peak and realize i kept fainting and then i went to the doctors and then they said all right go have an ultrasound and then they were like hold up you've got three kidneys and I was like, sorry, what? And then I had to have like tests after that because, but they're all working fine. So it's all good. Wow. Okay. That is, yeah, that's quite, that's quite impressive. Um, has anyone else got anything? Tomato soup goes really, really well with pasta. It doesn't sound like it was, but I didn't have sauce one day. So I used soup instead. <laughs> and it is probably the best creation I've ever made. I, I expected it to taste good, but it did. That sounds good. I'll write that down. Okay, so that's two pretty unexpected discoveries. And, you know, do we think they would have been easy to miss? I mean, I guess for Kat, you know, she didn't have any sauce. She was like, let's do some tomato soup. And then, you know, Kayla obviously kept fainting. So, like, sometimes, yeah, like, you just don't expect them, but then they just happen. So I think an example for me was Malaga in the south of Spain in Andalusia. And it was on the main street. Just off to the left, there was this tiny little caita, so a small street. And... Uh, it didn't look like much from the kind of front but going down it imagine like everything about spanish heritage just into one street there were like flowers tiny shops like a small tapas bar but that would have been really easy to miss and just by being aware just by looking around um we can often discover pretty amazing things and this is actually a recurring theme in luke's gospel that it's quite easy to miss what god is doing if we get so caught up in our own lives that we just miss out on what he's doing on his plans for our lives. So for example, Jesus himself, many people as seen in this passage, didn't actually realize who he was. Jesus came as the servant king. He came as a king, yes, but he also came as a man to serve us and ultimately lay down his life, which wasn't what people were expecting. As you can see in Mark 10, 45, Jesus himself, says that for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that just went completely against what everyone was expecting of this great messianic king so the messiah who was going to come and save all peoples basically so it's quite interesting to look at some of the expectations that people had towards jesus 
for example, many people were expecting a a great warrior king who would come like you know lead a rebellion, overthrow the Romans, and yeah, that's that's pretty much what they were expecting. But it's quite interesting to think about that. Like how how do we know that? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So before Jesus was born, there was 400 years of silence, which is when uh, the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins. So the Jewish people hadn't heard anything really from God over those 400 years. And during that time, Israel had been occupied by Romans and they were oppressed. There have been several uprisings. Uh, So one example would be an uprising by Judas Maccabees, which initially was successful. And people were like, oh, you know, maybe this is fine at the time we can get rid of those Romans. But that was crushed. And people were basically waiting for someone to come and deliver them from the hands of the Romans. Quite an interesting word that can be used to describe the lives of the Jews in Roman times is toleration. Now, on face value, toleration seems like a great thing. You're like, wow, you're tolerated. But then you actually think about it and you think, actually, no, toleration is the the bare minimum. Like it says that Jewish people were tolerated, but they were still missing great liberties. Their religion was just about legalized in order to keep peace across the Roman Empire. And this is all built on the context of throughout Israel's history. God has acted and helped them. He sent, you know, great kings like David or judges like Samson to deliver Israel from their times of trial. This is who people were expecting to save them from Roman occupation. These were the expectations of the Messiah. But the reality is actually quite different. We find that God who created heavens, earth, and the whole universe decided to come to earth as a human baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, which is quite astonishing when you think about it, that God is so great, yet he chose for us to humble himself to such a low level. Now, going on to the passage, in Luke 2.21, which is, I know, a little bit before the passage that we're reading, Mary and Joseph go to the local synagogue and they tell the guy there who was like managing it all, his name is Jesus, uh, which is Greek. But it's quite interesting if you look at a kind of like the origin of his name. It actually comes from Yeshua or Joshua, which basically is Jehovah saves. So kind of going back to what we said in week one, Jesus is he came to save us. That That is why God came down to earth. So the fact that David's heir, because he was descended from the lineage of David, um, you can basically trace it all the way back through David, Boaz, uh, husband of Ruth, and then all the way back up to Adam, which is quite interesting. David's heir came to a synagogue in David's city, but David's people did not notice him, which is quite interesting. You think, so this, okay, this is the first instance when people haven't got the picture. They've just completely missed it. It was there. It was like right there for them. And they just, it just completely passed them by. So the Bible passage that we're looking at, it shifts the focus to Jerusalem. And we jump straight into it. It's talking about the law of Moses. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present Jesus to the Lord, which is quite interesting when you think about it. You've got the son of God being presented to God, which I just thought was quite interesting how he starts his life still being Um, dedicated to God. So in verse 24, they offered a sacrifice and that sacrifice was a pair of doves or two young pigeons, which, you know, on face value, it kind of just seems like a normal sacrifice. But 
it's quite interesting to look back into where the law came from. And basically, this law is for the purification of the woman after childbirth. And in Leviticus 12.8, it reads, but if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons. Now, so we know they came from uh, Nazareth. That's where they lived. And what do you guys think the most common profession was in a rural town like Nazareth in first century BC? Butterer. I don't know what you call them. We make pots. Yeah, it's like a potter. Farmer. Surely farmer. Farmer, 100%. Yeah, farming. Everyone who was anyone would have had some land, even if it was just a tiny bit, and they would have had the kind of lambs to a penny, pretty much. So the fact that Mary and Joseph cannot afford to bring a lamb shows that they didn't have anything. They didn't have any land. They didn't have farming. We know that Joseph was a carpenter. But it just it shows the, how poor they were. The fact they couldn't even bring a lamb. They were like the poorest of the poor. Another interesting thing to note is you might have heard of Jesus referred to as the Lamb of God. Uh, so John 1.29, uh, John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, so Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And he came as a lamb um, in our place. So you could almost draw a parallel saying, okay, they brought the two doves or two young pigeons, but they also brought the most perfect lamb that has ever lived. Yeah. So Jesus, obviously through his life, death and resurrection, takes away the sin of the world. Now, if we break that down, the sin of the world, you know, it can seem like kind of just all encompassing, which it is. But I believe it's even more powerful if you break it down even further. The sin of the world means that he came for you. He came for me, um, for everyone in this call, for everyone who's not in this call, for the sins that we committed today, uh, everything that we have done and everything that we will do in the future. Like that is a lot. And that's all that's all taken from us by Jesus. Um, so you can see in Romans 3, 23 to 24, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glory but all are justified according to redemption by Christ Jesus. So this baby who was born in Nazareth to an incredibly poor family would go on to save the world. Now we move on to the next bit, which is about Simeon, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. How do we think Simeon knew Jesus was the Messiah? If you think Jerusalem, quite a big city, there wouldn't be people coming and going into the temple. How did Simeon know that these two parents holding baby Jesus, that this this was the Messiah? How do we think he knew that? I'm not sure, but um, I don't know, calling from God, that's just a guess. Okay, yeah, nice for Hannah, what were you going to say? Um, it says the Holy Spirit was on him in the passage. Yeah, so it's important to notice that it was nothing about Jesus, and that kind of links to Isaiah 53, 2. I think where it says basically like Jesus, the Messiah wouldn't have like, any majesty or glory that we can notice him by, um, that he would just come as fully human, but also fully God. Um, but yeah, so I think you both hit it bang on there. It's the prompting of the spirit. So yeah, it says in verse 25, the Holy Spirit was on him. So you can imagine that God must have just been to Simeon like, right, you know, that is, that is the Messiah. Just go over to him, I guess. 
it's quite interesting to look at like where did that come from and i think we can assume that that kind of arose through years of study so it says he was righteous and devout we can assume that he was in quite an active relationship with god he would probably know the scriptures quite well pray frequently yeah and it's quite obvious to see that he had immense faith because he had been told basically that he wouldn't die until he saw god's messiah so having the faith that he would one day see god's messiah is quite amazing so i know lots of questions this evening but what do you guys think that faith is like how can we like tangibly translate it into our lives i think having faith is kind of like you believe in something even though you're not sure yourself like you don't fully know about it um you just believe that it's there yep definitely so it's like yeah it's like a deep-rooted belief like believing in something that might not be there with you at that time yes it's like having that constant belief all the way through no matter what the way that we can translate faith into our lives is summed up quite well in paul's letter to the galatians there's quite a lot of references to paul's letters uh so paul and luke writing similar time uh they were probably friends uh so galatians 5 22 uh since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit so it's clear to see that simeon was living life for god he was attuned to god's voice he had heard him speak before and that meant that he was you know able to basically just like, keep his timetable free to respond to that so it's important that we keep our eyes and ears open to respond to god and just keep ourselves aware of what he might be doing so in verse 28 it changes to simeon's song it's been called a song but if you actually look at it it's also been called a nunc dimittis in latin which literally translates as like now it's time to go so it's kind of like simeon's last thing he's like right i've seen the messiah my time is up uh this is it this is what i'm saying so who knows he may have died that evening he may have died the next day we don't know but the important thing is that he had seen god's messiah and he knew god's promise to him had been fulfilled it really kind of takes things up a notch so we've had the story of jesus's life up to this point we know that he's something different he's special obviously his birth prophesied by an angel uh foretold by gabriel yeah it's completely different and unparalleled to anything that's ever been before but if we look at this it actually quite clearly lays out jesus's life so it says in verse 28 to 35 it basically just runs out a life story pretty much it says that he will verse 32 He'll be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So the fact that he's going to change things is clearly seen through this. Because obviously up to this time, God has been Israel's God. He hasn't been for the Gentiles, really, and their kind of, you know, all their numerous pagan gods. But then after this point, it's clear to see that, okay, this is going to be for everyone, for all peoples. And quite interesting, if you look at the Greek behind it, so Jesus came for the Holeos, which is people of Israel, but not the Gentiles, which is the ethne. But the Greek in verse 32, when it says, and the glory of your people, Israel, it is actually all people everywhere, all nations. So no, no one is excluded from that. And again, that's echoed in Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 28 where he says there is neither jew nor gentile slave nor free male nor female for you're all one in christ jesus and 
it's essential to grasp this because right from the start, before Jesus could walk or talk, it's been said about him that he would unite the nations, uh, people from all races, all nationalities, that that doesn't, that doesn't matter. Another thing that it says in this passage is that he's going to bring about huge change, not only for the kind of Jew-Gentile regime, but also for many people, that his life and death and resurrection will cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And just the fact that, you know, Simeon is talking about this, it shows that he got it through his years of study, through his years of spending time with God. He understood that God is the God of everyone. He's not just for a certain group. He is for everyone, for he is the creator. All things were made by him. So he is for everyone. And the fact that Simeon got that is quite revolutionary in first century BC. But at the end of it, we can see in verse 35 that while he will bring about great things, he will also have to pay the ultimate sacrifice. Um, Verse 35, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So he says that to Mary. That's alluding, obviously, to Jesus's death, which was brutal, painful. But more importantly, it was for us. He went to the cross to take our sins onto him. So the next part of the verse Enter Anna, another person at the temple. So it says that she is a prophet from the tribe of Asher. Quite interesting to look how they all know their heritage. So heritage is a very important thing to Jews back then. Uh, They would almost take great pride in tracking their lineage back to great heroes of old. I think, I don't know, I guess it's kind of on par with some Americans when they're kind of like, oh, I can trace my great, 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 great grandfather back to the original people who like came to America. It's kind of like that level, like they were meticulous with that. Um, But yeah, it's quite interesting actually, if you look into the tribe of Asher. So obviously 12 tribes of Israel, Asher is one of them. He was the eighth son of Jacob. And it's quite interesting when you translate it, it actually translates as the happy one, which you can clearly see through Anna's joy that she feels at seeing this tiny baby who she knows is the Messiah. Yeah, and it's just quite astonishing, really, because this is a woman who has been widowed for most of her life. Um, She is incredibly poor. She lives in the temple courts. So she probably, you know, just sleeps outside somewhere near one of the walls. Yeah, she doesn't have any possessions. She would have had probably no close family members. Otherwise, they might have taken her in. So we can see that this is a, a woman who, in worldly terms, has nothing but in spiritual terms she has everything because it's clear to see that she has a very close relationship with god but yeah it's quite interesting when we look at how she would have built up that relationship with god that was built up through just through spending time with him really so if we look obviously you know anna was a woman she was a widow and back in those days women weren't educated to the level that men were because you know first century bc and because of that it was it's clear to see that she that she wouldn't have had time to like read the scriptures she wouldn't have been like studying the old testament studying the messianic law she would have just been just spending time with god it says in verse 37 she never left the temple but worshipped night and day fasting and praying it's quite amazing that out of everyone there at the temple in Jerusalem, the two people 
that uh, Jesus is revealed to are the two people that you really wouldn't expect. Now you think, okay, the savior of the Jewish nation, maybe it'll be the Pharisees that will recognize him. Maybe it will be the chief priests and teachers of the law. But in reality, it's to, it's to an old widow and an old man. Yeah, like, I don't know, you can almost, you can almost imagine kind of like, especially Anna, like how her role in the day-to-day life at the temple would be. You know, people probably go to the temple to, you know, give their sacrifices, whatever. And they'd probably be like, oh, there's Anna again. You know, she's doing this. Oh, there's Anna. Do you know what I mean? She probably would have been a talking point, but probably not for the best reasons. Uh, people would have just been like, oh, you know, she's a little bit crazy, whatever. And also like her response to seeing Jesus, this woman who has been widowed, has just seen the saviour of all peoples in all the world. And in verse 38, and see that uh, she said that she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So you can kind of imagine, like, people would go into the temple and she'd kind of maybe run up to them and be like, oh, you know, guess who I saw today? I saw Jesus, the Messiah. He's going to save us. And it's just amazing, like, the joy that can be brought through Jesus. And that, that same joy is available to us today. So verse 40, skipping right on to the end of the passage, says, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So to conclude this all, I guess the main point is just be aware in your lives. Just be aware of God's voice and just listen to him, really. Like if we, if we try and carry out our own plans by our own strength, it's never going to work. But if we just take a look into our lives and see where God is at work and then partner with him in that, like amazing things can happen. And that's actually been like, you can see that throughout the entirety of the Bible. In fact, Old Testament, New Testament, it's just some examples that I've picked up. You've got Joshua, Joshua 6. You know, many of you probably know the story of Joshua and Jericho, how he marched around the city and then blew trumpets and shouted and the whole thing fell down. And obviously that's not a conventional way to siege a fortress city. You know, normally you'd not do that. But the fact that Joshua heard God's voice and he did that, it meant that Jericho was delivered into his hands because he partnered with God. Another example from the New Testament is Jesus and the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 1 to 9. So during this passage, we can see that Jesus, he's given a sermon, he's preaching to a massive crowd. And then all of a sudden, up in a tree, he sees a small man just climbing to try and get a look at him. And he stops his sermon. He listens to what God is saying. Obviously, Zacchaeus, him being there is no accident. And he calls him down. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. So one of the most hated people in the Roman Empire. But through you know Jesus's interaction with him, he repents and he actually gives back four times what he's cheated off people quite an amazing transformation so yeah like really amazing things can happen if we just clear our own agendas and just make room for god but it's really essential that we do have god with us because i mean even jesus himself said in john 5 19 to 20 the son can do nothing by himself he can only do what he sees his father doing so over this week i want you to stop and think just what places can you see God at work in your own lives? And I just really challenge you to make space for him, make time for him. 
and just really wait on him and just see what might be going on that you can kind of tap into. So I think one of the final things I want to say this evening is why was uh, why was Simeon and Anna so excited about this baby Jesus? Jesus was the son of God. He came to earth and lived a perfect life and died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sins. He died for you, for me. He died a painful death on the cross at the hands of the Jewish authorities, at the hands of the Romans, so that we can be saved. And it's all summed up pretty nicely in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. And that, in essence, is really why Simeon and Anna were so amazed and astonished by Jesus, by who he was and what he did, and ultimately what that means for us. So that's all from the study this evening. But I also just want to add on to that. Obviously, as many of you will know, today is Father's Day. And I know that while for some, that can be a really great and joyous time. But I also know that for many people out there, it can be really quite hard. And I just want you guys to know that if today has been tough, that you have, we all have the most perfect and loving heavenly father who loves us so much that he died for us in our place so yeah i just want you guys just to all take confidence in that and just know that yeah no matter what's going on that you have a father who loves you beyond compare and he wants to do amazing things for you and through you yes that's all from me thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed it